0: You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org.
1: This is the Christian Humanist Podcast, a weekly discussion of theology, philosophy, literature, art, and other things that human beings do well. And now your host, David Grubbs. Nathan Gilmore and Michael
2: Get Hi, racks, welcome to episode
1: 213 of the Christian Humanist Podcast. I'm your host for today. My name is Michael Farmer. I'm an assistant professor of English at Crown College in St. Bonifacius, Minnesota. I'm on spring break. I'm probably the only one who is. So let me me flip it over to those working stiffs first. Uh, David Grubbs, who is is an assistant professor of English at Houston Baptist University in Houston, Texas. David, how's life in the trenches?
0: Oh, very, very very trenchy um trenchant trenchant yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it was uh coming back to work on monday was uh, it was sad
1: you Uh, just hate to see their stupid faces don't you
0: well let's be fair they hate to see my stupid face too (laughs) yeah there was there was a whole lot of nobody wanting to be there on monday but you know we're back in the groove by wednesday so it's pretty cool
1: You're giving me something to look forward to next week. Uh, Nathan Gilmore is also with us. He's an associate professor of English at Emanuel College in Franklin Springs, Georgia. Nathan, you've been off spring break for, what, three months?
3: Yeah, about that. We had it back in uh, October, so uh, we've been back at it for a while now.
1: Great. (laughs) Our episode today is another one of our periodic Christian album dissection episodes, and this time we're talking about... The 1992 album The Grape Prophet by the band uh, Lifesavers Underground, or LSU, or as they're called on this uh, this album, LS Underground, which I, I think there's a, a pretty clear reason for doing. Uh, just a little bit of background, um, Lifesavers Underground is is the brainchild of this guy Mike Knott, who has released, I don't know... 30, 40 albums in the Christian market under a variety of different names. He begins, as a lot of these bands began, as a blatantly evangelical, kind of cheerful, uh, new wave pop punk group. And, and at that point, they were just called the Lifesavers. And then in 1987, he, he releases an album called Shaded Pain as Lifesavers Underground. And this happens to a lot of the bands of his generation it it is a dark and uh, difficult record and it kind of signals his entry into the world of artistic christian rock i don't know what you would call it christian alternative (laughs) rock is what i call it on my uh periodic series on on the um on the christian humanist blog and and, uh, i actually did do an entry on lifesavers underground so i'll put a link to that in the show notes so this is, I think, the third record as Lifesavers Underground, and it is the first of his four rock operas. So this, this is an album that tells a coherent story, a more or less coherent story um, that goes across uh, songs with various characters singing, although almost all of them are voiced by not himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to get the record, and you should, because it, it's, a, it's a pretty cool, weird record, I don't know of much else that's like it, you can do so at iTunes or, um, or at the band's Bandcamp page, which I'll also put a link to in the show notes. I assume they get more money from the Bandcamp page than from iTunes, but I'm sure they'd welcome your money in whatever form. Most of the other records we've talked about in this series have been some variation on folk rock or Americana music. And one of the reasons I picked The Great Prophet this go-around is that it owes essentially nothing to that tradition. There's nothing in here, I think, that you could call folk music in any way. Nathan, in our own grand tradition, would you mind describing what this record sounds <laughs> okay. like?
3: All right, listeners. Get Tom key- Petty and the Heartbreakers. <laughs> get, get your keyboard ready so you can tee off on me. Uh, this is a record, I mean, honestly, that is just, you know, pretty straightforward uh, hard rock in a lot of places. Uh, the vocals, I mean, sometimes are, are reminiscent of Jane's Addiction, sometimes reminiscent of Alice Cooper. Uh, you know, the, the guitar work doesn't quite sound as distorted as something you'd hear out of Seattle in the mid 90s, but it's definitely that uh, hard rock with some distortion going on in it. Now it is a rock opera, so I mean, when certain characters are, are going about what they do uh, you get some spoken word sections. Uh, you get some strange instrumentation. Uh, you know, a lot of keyboard work when certain characters are doing what 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 they do. Pardon me. Uh, and notably, you do have sections where there are women vocalists on this. I think, unless Michael's about to tell me that that's a very convincing falsetto. Nope. It's uh, uh,
1: it's it, the the female vocals are done by Karen Colbert, who is with the band Breakfast with Amy.
3: There you go. Uh, now, what's interesting about them is that they are almost always singing a character, the sort of uh, recitative sec- sections where you are narrating the action uh, is done, you know, in a fairly understated, you know, uh, not very emotive style. Uh, but when the characters come on, you know, some of them uh, scream like a like an Alice Cooper record. Some of them are women vocalists. It just kind of goes in a, a variety of directions. Uh, so, I mean... Michael, I mean, what else is there to say about the sound? Because I always get this at least somewhat wrong.
1: No, I don't think you got it wrong at all. I, I, I would add the degree to which this is a Los Angeles record in the early the early 1990s. I mean, most of the mm-hmm. record takes place in Kansas City, sure, but like this is a... This is a uh, this is an album that sounds like Los Angeles in the early 1990s. s. Yeah, is to say, yeah,
3: and I and I forgot to mention there is that one number where I mean it it sounds like a track off of Blood Sugar Sex Magic for about two minutes. It yep. sounds
1: like Give It Away, although it yeah. sounds like uh, it sounds like Give It Away in a profoundly unsettling way, right? Oh, oh it really
3: does, the sub- largely because of the subject matter. But we'll we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: the The other touchstone I would say is Jane's addiction, uh, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of Lifesavers Underground stuff from the 1990s sounds like Jane's addiction, but it never sounds more like it uh, than it does than it does here on The Great Prophet. Okay. So, so no, for sure, run. I'd say did Jane's I, addiction.
3: Did, did I mention that, or was I just thinking it?
1: You were just thinking it. You said Red Hot Chili Peppers, which, which um, I can never remember the name of the track, because it's, it's got a really long, circuitous name. Uh, a Group of Prophets Predict the Picker's Future Without Them is the one right, that sounds like right. Give It Away. Okay. But the, the, I, I think Jane's Addiction is a good touchstone. Okay, very good. David, anything to add to that?
0: No, I, I, I was just, uh, the, the whole time I, I, I just felt like I was having general high school radio flashbacks. Yeah, um, but I was not uh, I was I, I was not into music generally, and, and enough to to always be able to diagnose what it was what I was being reminded of. Um, that, I mean, there 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 are a few places which you know which we'll we'll, we'll talk about later on where, uh, you know, yeah, I was picking up on the Red Hot Chili Pepper echoes too, but you know, you know, we'll have to we'll have to get there
1: an impossibly cool sound 25 years ago i mean it sounds dated to us but i mean this is the year (laughs) after oh what's the first jane's addiction record nothing shocking
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh it's the year after that and it's the year after blood sugar sex magic so uh. Mm -hmm. and i i you know there's this there's this feeling that that christian rock is just like a ripoff of secular bands and i on my uh on my series on the blog i always have a section that says recommend it if you like it's kind of a uh that's kind of a joke about those old, I don't know if you guys ever saw those charts that tell you, well, if you like this, oh, yeah, yeah. if you like Jane's Addiction, you would like LS Underground. <laughs> um, and Nod is definitely uh, guilty of that. I, I mean, almost every album he put out sounded different, and oftentimes they sounded like whatever band was cool at the time. But uh, I, I, I I, would like to think he's doing something other than just ripping off those, those groups. Mm-hmm. And certainly The Great Prophet Speaks, Sounds nothing like uh, like anything else I've ever heard. Right. All the blues and lavender blossoms will be suckled unto
2: their heirs. Find lifted shelter and no abominations within the filtered soil of the trodden grove. What he's saying is that we here in this body will
0: be lifted up and be set apart from all other bodies. But
1: well uh, at, the, at first glance, this is a very strange and inscrutable album and and part of the reason for that is that not is narrating a real life event allegorically, mm-hmm. and the point becomes clearer when you know what actually happened and, and David I'm hoping you can narrate that for
0: us sure well it, it is it is an allegory it it, it is working off of the the, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, um, though in this particular case the the vineyard is uh, is is actually a, a, a darker space than uh, Christ Vineyard. the the character of LS, which I'm assuming is the the LS in in LSU. Um, Very good. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey look at that. No, that
1: had to be explained to me. So <laughs> yes. you're uh, you're a step ahead of me.
0: <laughs> well, uh, the 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 Ellis is is uh, is an orange picker in the in in this orange grove. So we've already got this idea of workers in a um, workers in a in in a fruit harvest, um, but who's wondering why everyone has left the orange orchard and has actually gone uh, over to this vineyard. Because of this figure, the the, the grape prophet, um, or the great prophets, uh, but the great prophet who is is luring them away um, with promises of uh, higher revelation and and uh, a higher kind of spiritual status, um, and then ultimately this uh, Ellis the orange picker um, leaves, and uh, we have the the final track back to the orchard so that, so that you you have this idea that our protagonist has has actually returned though not um, not necessarily with the loved ones that he went seeking
1: kind of a downer ending mm-hmm.
0: yeah and th- and this is the the biographical part of it um, Michael not uh, the story is that uh, he had a a Bible study um, a Bible study th- of, uh, with close friends and some of them went, uh, some of them wanted to go to Kansas city to see, uh, this, uh, these reputed prophets. Um, there was a, a a movement within the, the vineyard church of, uh, of, you know, folks claiming a kind of high prophetic apostolic status, um, in, in Kansas city was where it was focused. And so this, they had kind of a reputation around the, around the charismatic world. And so some of his friends go, go here. um, Mike Knott goes uh, to, to kind of see it. He's, he's turned off by it. Uh, He's, he's sees it as, as inauthentic, but uh, some of, some of his friends uh, actually stay. Um, And he's incredibly disturbed by this he sees it as as kind of uh an, an allurement and then um sometime later uh there is uh in is it 93 uh, 91 um, bob jones not no relation to the university uh bob jones one of the prophets is actually removed from from church duties uh, as a result of sexual misconduct with two women so he's he is one of the prophets, and there is a scandal um, within the church in which he's used his his power um, over them. Uh, I'm never really quite sure what exactly went down. They're 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 cagey about it. It, it appears as if the church wanted to kind of handle it mainly in house by referring to it as sexual min- misconduct, but insisting that there was never adultery, which. Uh, which is taken to mean not sexual intercourse but i'm not sure if that's quite what that means anyways uh so he was so so bob jones um has this has this scandal surrounding him um actually uh in in later years he he's he's kind of rehabilitated within the movement and when he died back in 2013 2014 um there were you eul- there were eulogies in places like charisma magazine and whatnot. So. And I, I, I
1: don't know the exact connection, and I wasn't aware of this at all until I posted mm-hmm. to a uh, to a Facebook group I'm a member of about my write-up on Ellis Underground. But mm-hmm. um, apparently Bob Jones is loosely affiliated with the, the group Jesus Culture, the Bethel Church out of, I think, Redding, hmm. California, which is one of the big kind of worship conglomerates. I I, mm-hmm. I don't know if he I, – I know that like Mike Bickle is associated with both of them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it's kind of hard for me to figure out exactly what those, what those connections look like because I'm not a charismatic and don't move in those circles. But I know that there is a connection.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so the, the Kansas City prophets, uh, you named Mike Bickle, um, Bob Jones, Paul Kane, Rick Joyner, um, uh, Francis Frangipan, who, I'm, who I had heard of, because how do you, how do you forget that name? Um, John Wimber connected with this uh with this movement and uh it, it was I, re- I remember hearing stuff about it um through the 90s and um uh, was not was no longer kind of paying attention as we got into the 2000s as i w- as i had been earlier but um there there w- they, they 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 were definitely making waves um predicting coming events and uh and exercising um uh, an enormous amount of influence within, within that mm. movement. And so that, that's, the, that's the story behind this. And you can hear it's um, the, the, the great prophet. Y- y- you can tell by the way that the story is framed that the great prophet of the vineyard uh, is not the master of the orange grove, which, um, which, which the pickers ought to be harvesting for, but is a kind of alternate um or anti Christ.
1: They they mm. ought to be harvesting for Colonel Pecasan. I'm not sure where he got that. I, I, <laughs> I try
0: I tried that one. That one is not as easy as Ellis.
1: Yeah. And the Orange Grove because it's Orange County. Right. California, I think. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, I didn't I didn't get the uh other the other than that it that it sounds like pick up the sand.
1: That's what he's saying, yeah. Uh, pick up the sand, Colonel Pekka pick up,
2: pick up Sand. All right.
1: The name Colonel Pekka was so so important that he had to write the nonsense line about pick up the sand.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I must say that I, I, I didn't actually do the Googling that might that might have helped with that. Um, I, I, I wanted to rely <laughs> on my own, but, uh, but when I did Google it, nothing showed up.
1: I think it's worth noting that the weirdest part of the, the story here is apparently true to life. The, the idea that the great prophet, Bob Jones, would mm-hmm. speak in these codes
0: mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm.
1: he would then have an interpreter, an English interpreter of English, the song as the song puts it, to interpret. Why, yeah. Yeah. not says that is right out of the the actual church in Kansas City which, which of course was a vineyard mm-hmm. church which is the other reason it's like the grape prophet because they right um, but because it was a vineyard right
0: well and uh, yeah that he would use this kind of um, uh, parabolic poetic um, apocalyptic vision language when he would deliver his prophecies and someone else would have to step in and tell you what it actually means Um, which is, I mean, it's, it's the old Nostradamus, Delphic Oracle dodge, right? Um, you know, deliver a riddle as a prophecy. And then, you know, if, if what people understood it to mean doesn't come true, um, just nod sagely (laughs) because they just misunderstood you.
1: I wonder if Bob Jones really said that he had lunch with Jesus.
0: Uh, apparently that's actually, that's, that, that is actually a thing that he's supposed to have had a vision or some kind of an encounter with Jesus and a, and, and a meal. Uh, and all these prophets had, um, if you, if you dig into the Kansas city prophets, um, kind of dig into the story, they were all telling about these, you know, accounts with angels, accounts with God, you know, encounters with God, things like that. Um, which was their, uh. Their license for being able to 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 speak and act the way that they did. I kept thinking about the didache, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh Well,
1: the great prophet definitely stayed more than two days. So I guess if we're following <laughs> the, if we're following the didache.
2: hmm
0: Yeah. Well, and it, and it brings a whole new meaning to the. Uh, if he says in the spirit, "Give me money," <laughs> he is a false prophet.
1: Were they were they asking for money?
0: Oh no no no! Well, they're asking for more than money, apparently. Um, at least Bob yeah. Jones was.
1: The other the other group that that is loosely came out of this group is, I believe, and I don't want to get sued, and I don't want to make anybody angry, and I know that we probably have listeners who who at least know people who respect this group. I know that I have students who do. Um, is the International House of Prayer? Which is mm-hmm. also in mm-hmm. Kansas City, and and my understanding is that it it rises from the ruins of the Kansas City Profits, but not an expert. I'm holding my hands mm-hmm. up in the air, which nobody can tell because this isn't a video podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I I don't know that for sure, but that is mm-hmm. that's my impression from the little bit of research I've done. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I I think I I think you know kind of like you, Michael, wanting to sort of step back from the conversation we're having and say. Um, right now, we're trying to make sense of what Mike not, of the story Mike Knott tells, um, you know. And uh, hopefully, later on in the conversation, we'll be able to talk about you know where this might fit in a larger assessment of the kind of movements that he's talking about.
1: And it's worth noting, not not himself says that he doesn't think this was this was typical of the Vineyard movement, mm, mm-hmm. and that he held no particular grudge toward Bob Jones. Mm-hmm. The, inter- the interview I read said that if, if Jones had wanted to reconcile, he would have done it in a second. I'm not sure how much you can believe that. Um, I'm not sure how much Jones was really aware of not. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would be very interested to know if the Kansas City Prophets had a reaction to this record, or if indeed they ever heard it.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, given the specificity of the narrative of this record, it might be worth pulling out the general principles that inform its critique Of Bob Jones and the Kansas City Prophets. Nathan, if that's what Knott is criticizing on this record, what ground does he stand on to make that criticism, and and what does he find so distasteful about the vineyard?
3: One of the ways that he makes this critique, Michael, you've already referred to, the fact that, you know, the great prophet character, the the Jones character, uh, renders his public utterances in this sort of code that then someone has to interpret, and then the people hear, and so you've got a lot of removes between the intent of the person and the purported divine origin of the saying, and then what what anyone actually does with it. Uh, you know, this is you know a, a common critique, honestly, uh, within Pentecostal circles. Because I do work here at Emanuel College. You know, I know Lee Grady and a number of the other folks that are mentioned in those uh, press uh, those news articles that you sent, Michael. And this is something that they are very mindful of. Uh, within their own tradition that, you know, the capacity to distance oneself from one's utterance is sort of built into the logic of a lot of Pentecostal traditions. Another angle that he takes, of course, is setting oneself oneself up as a unique receptacle of divine revelation. Uh, You know, when I have a word from God for you, that puts you in a position where if you refuse what I'm about to say, you are not refusing a human being who is your equal, but you are refusing God who is your ontological superior. Uh, and, you know, this this is, you know, something that's played out over and over again, certainly even before there were Christians. Uh, this is something that the prophet Jeremiah deals with. Uh, and, again, you know, it is one of the real risky elements of any kind of revealed religion, whether we're talking about Islam or whether we're talking about Judaism or Christianity, uh, it's the fact that the revelation of God is always mediated through text, through uh, a tradition, through interpreters, so on and so forth. Perhaps one of the big ones is the fact that, you know, in this story especially, uh, you have this retroactive p- prophecy going on. And honestly, I had to read the uh, new newspaper articles that you sent out, Michael, to, to get this, but once I saw it, I saw it. Uh, and it's that Jones was speaking a word to these women who had come into the community, the ones that he was sexually abusing, uh, and telling them that God has told me that if you hadn't come here, then you would have turned out as pornographic objects, you would have turned out as prostitutes, Uh, it's only me that has saved you from that life and therefore I am your salvation. Mm -hmm. Uh, so in all, 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 you know, every one of those fronts, uh, what you got is not necessarily, you know, a, you know, a Constantine figure saying that, you know, God has appointed me to win this battle over this tribe, over that bridge, but you do have in a more confined setting and therefore in a setting where there's not as much of a public check on it, a person basically setting himself up as an intermediary for God, in ways that short circuit any kind of accountability that could go on there. Now, as far as where he stands to make that criticism, honestly, it is, you know, the idea that you know the best way to get rid of mold is to put it in sunshine. Uh, you know, by turning this even in an allegorical form into a, an utterance that goes out beyond the community, that goes out to people who can look in on it uh you know to relay this uh to a broader public itself calls it into question and moreover you know to to render it as a parody as this does um i, I i'm sure at some point someone said that you know i broke bread with jesus i, I strongly doubt that someone said basically he's saying he ate lunch with Jesus. Uh, You know, (laughs) (laughs) that makes me
1: laugh every single time. It really
3: is a great moment. It really is a great moment.
1: We should give credit, by the way. I'm sorry to interrupt you. We should give credit to to Steve Hindalong from the choir, who is the voice of the great prophet when he speaks in that track. It's a bravado performance.
3: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, But the other thing, of course, I mean, is is setting what this great prophet group is doing to certain kinds of music. Uh, makes a statement beyond the mere words. Uh, you know, when the uh, women vocalist or the woman vocalist, I, I think you said it was one woman doing several tracks, Michael. Um, when that voice uh, is singing in a certain way that you associate with, you know, the sort of fringe religious cults that you see on TV, uh, when the great prophet himself is speaking in this, you know, sort of goofy sing-songy way, these apocalyptic utterances uh, when, you know, you've got the conversation with the great, with the prophets in the plural. uh, And, you know, they sound like the bad guy from an Alice Cooper track. Uh, I mean that, that musical move itself, Sets them off as the sort of bad guys in this story, so that's sort of the mode of critique. Uh, David, I mean, what what else is going on here that's a critique?
0: The the um, I I'd I'd like to go back to the the great prophet speaks and uh, the the first interpretation. Mm-hmm. He's saying that we here in this body will be lifted up and set apart from all other bodies of followers. Mm-hmm. Um, the and I, and I think that's that's something that's embedded uh, not just in that in that lyric or in that song, but in the whole image of uh, of the parable mm-hmm. that it's the orange picker. but but over here, here is the real vineyard because the vineyard is the is the New Testament image. In right. Parable. No
3: oranges in the Bible.
0: Yeah, no oranges in the Bible. <laughs> um, but so, so in this period, in this, uh, in this parable, um the the vineyard imagery, the imagery of, of of the grape goes along with this idea that those those who are in it believe that they are that they are the only true the the only true uh, uh, I don't know, garden of God, as it were, the only mm-hmm. the only true place in which you can um, harvest as God would which would wish you to. Um, those others are well, they're just oranges and there are no oranges in the Bible, as you said so the, the the exclusivity of it the um that the 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 play not only that the these prophets are elite but by associating with them you become elite as well yeah. well
1: and then the control they demand at the mm. end of that song the fold when mm. yeah when the woman is singing
3: your, your future is ours
1: Mind in time, yeah. Like, like mm-hmm. and you could you can maybe spin that in a way that's not so disturbing, but clearly clearly it's supposed to be disturbing. Coming to the fold is uh, is not something you say uh, unironically, you know what I mean? <laughs>
3: you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well and I mean, you know, e- even the melody of the line and your future is ours is just borderline discordant. So I mean there's mm-hmm. something that sets your nerves on edge when you hear it
1: hmm Well, and then the chorus of Wino of the red is stained is just a heavily flanged word empower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know mm-hmm. and, and you, obviously obviously the question becomes who who is being empowered here and it's it's not the uh, it's not the the orange pickers. it's the uh, it's the prophet himself
2: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: but he's a sensation. well we never talk about sex on the show but i'm not sure we can avoid it here um beginning with the cover image which i'm gonna let you describe for the good people at home david this album (laughs) is saturated in a very menacing kind of sexuality what is not up to
0: um so the cover the cover has it is it has the uh, a woman's face. Uh, there's some kind of strange coloring effect where everything is reds and ye- red and yellow gradients, um, uh, as if as if lit by flame, right? So there's there's that kind of imagery. Uh, however, this, this woman's face, you only see um, what are this uh, from the suggestion of about uh, uh, from the suggestion of closed eyes down to a chin. So it's that much of a face. It's also rotated 90 degrees, uh, with the uh, what would be the top of the head pointing off to the left. Uh, the mouth is open, uh, in a kind of uh, uh, a- a- as if as if vocalizing, as if uh, maybe even singing. Uh, but uh, you know, the, the 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 lips are parted. In front of the face, and this is what the focus of the image is on, is what looks like a circle of wire uh, with wire crossed uh, top to bottom and then left to right, kind of forming a a cross of wire, at the center of which is a sphere. Um, So if you tilt your head and look at it, it looks kind of like an old-fashioned microphone. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, the, you know, the old-timey, the old-timey microphones looks kind of like that. Uh, but if you, if you look at it rotated as it actually is, you know, you don't tilt your head, it looks like a crosshair. Uh, as if, uh, as if this, as if this woman, and in particular her mouth is a target, because her, her open lips are what's at the center of this crosshair. And the sphere at the center of the crosshair, um is red and looks you know like a shiny little grape you know like she's so if you tilt your head it looks as if she's eating a grape Right. but in the strangest
1: way possible
0: in the strangest and and <laughs> most uncomfortable making way possible right um it, it's it's kind of it's kind of the way women eat yogurt in commercials <laughs> You know you know what I mean? As if like as if like yogurt is some kind of like like ecstatic sensory experience. (laughs) Right? And and the whole time they're talking about how it makes you regular, but all these women like are acting as if yogurt is like erotic. Anyway so that I mean but then also it looks like a cherry, so with all of that all of that kind of imagery, um
1: uh, since you're apparently too shy to say it, David, I will. I, I will um, it, it suggests oral sex, right? A- and, yeah. And also communion. And also, y- you mentioned the crosshairs, but it also kind of looks like she's wearing a muzzle.
0: Yeah. It's,
1: it's a very strange cover. Well, yeah, yeah
0: because it, it, it evokes all of these different things. And all of them are... All of them are icky. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's not a sexy cover exactly, but it is no. a sexual cover.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the 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 menacing sexuality that 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 phrase that you used in the question, I think, is uh, that that summarizes it nicely. Um,
1: we, we we talked about how gutsy Terry Taylor must have been to release that song "Glory Hound" in 1991 yeah. to Christian bookstores. Mm-hmm. Might not just must not be afraid of anything because <laughs> <laughs> like this is this would still be controversial. I would think, and this was 25 yes. years ago.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what the, when you get into the lyrics, when you get into the songs proper, we already know the, ba- in, in the background, uh, that there actually is a, a sex scandal of this particular prophet, Bob Jones with, with two women. Again, we don't know what goes on there. Well, all we know is the scandal and, and, was there any more of it we don't know B- but that is you know as as that lies in the background uh, it shows up in the it shows up in the songs as well that 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 notion that that women are going to be exploited that their sexuality is going to be um, targeted uh, m- misused uh, in in the kind of uncomfortable ways that the uh, that the cover art implies but there's also the song A Group of Prophets Predict the Pickers Future Without Them it's mm-hmm. the one that sounds the most like the Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, in which th- and this is and this is apparently actually something that happened uh, as, as we've uh, I, as I think we've already mentioned that the prophets would sta- stood over uh, one of these young women who was part of the part of the group and they're telling her what what she would have been without them she would have been a a big hooker on sunset boulevard and a nice porno queen and a leotard that that that's what she would have been without them but the way that it's sung uh leads you to focus instead on the way that the the way that the voice of the character the way that this character is envisioning this woman in those roles
2: Mm -hmm.
0: all right uh in a in a lascivious way i love holy women that are pretty you could have been on a video you could have been in my strip show that that this isn't just a but for the grace of god there go i kind of sentiment but uh but verges on verges on fantasy and the it gets even creepier in the chorus what would it what would you have been if you did not come dead 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 and the vocals change from red hot chili peppers to something that to me sounds an awful lot like rob zombie even though rob zombie wouldn't produce another album for another like 5 years or so yeah, Um, it, it gets creepy and threatening and guttural and predatory. In a in a way that it was already kind of predatory, and now it's just uh, aggressively threateningly so. And then mm-hmm. the the track she said, in which you have uh, the the voice apparently of a of of the the, the female character. Um,
2: my body it's ready to be crushed slip me in between toes be
0: take my body it is ready to be crushed slip me in between your toes All right so you've got more of that Vine grape, and in this case, um, uh, wine press imagery. I am like a grape to be crushed between your toes. Take my heart, it's ready to be drunk. right? Uh, so all of that being being crushed and being used as a grape imagery uh, is 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 used in that song. and and during the verse, The the vocals are such as as if lulled in in a trance, as if kind of chanted in this particular way. And then when the chorus comes in, it's a different voice. It's a different speaker uh, who screams at you. um, I don't know why you only listen to the lie. Uh, as uh, As if Ellis, the protagonist of the album, is standing on the side listening to this woman um, screaming at her, attempting to get her to wake up, and I, I keep thinking about um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, in which you know when sh- when Short Round is trying to get Indy to wake up, you know that it's 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 got that kind of feel of it, as if she's she's in the power of this of this being, who like you know an old fashioned Dracula mo- movie, is is leading her to her degradation, um, while the hero shrieks on the side, unable to. Break the hold.
1: It, I, we, we've got a we've got a point to how blasphemous what she says is because right yes. after she says take my heart it's ready to be drunk, she says slide me in under your tongue, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is a, I mean that's a that's a Eucharist mm-hmm. reference that this this whatever is happening in the vineyard is is turning the Eucharist from a something that happens with Christ's body to something that happens with this woman's body. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. something something, obviously sexual.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, in the, the last verse, um, take my legs, they're ready to lay down, twisting in the rooted soil, take my arms, I'm ready to be born, go on with things, I'm a seed. And, and, and you have that echo of Christ, uh, you know, of Christ saying, lest, uh, unless, except a seed, go into the ground and die. Um there will be no new life except mm. the way that it's phrased. Again, as you say, it's this blasphemous turn of holy language that, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it was already bad and now it is, it is so clearly worse as this, as this, uh, as these religious images, as this, these religious significances are warped to, um, another kind of uh, a, a kind of manipulation
3: right and also there's the there's the imagery of being born mm-hmm. you know the famous john three image you know unless yes. a man be born ionian however you translate that uh he cannot enter the kingdom and you know this woman is instead of that saying i'm ready to be born go on with things Mhm. And I mean, you know, it's it, it, it really, I mean, straight out of Margaret Atwood right there. You know, I mean, it's it's the business that yeah. you have to attend to if you're going to be saved in this economy of salvation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Indeed,
1: I think that is the appropriate reaction. <laughs> well, none of us are charismatics, so we may not be the right people to answer this question. But what the heck, we went ahead and did a show about Catholic education without having a Catholic on. <laughs> should say you went ahead and did that I was not involved but I'm involved here um, is the parody of the Kansas City prophets represented by this record an attack on charismatic Christianity in general because there are obviously plenty of charismatics who don't end up following false prophets like Bob Jones but is there something in charismatic Christianity that lends itself to the particular type of abuse um, that's, that's put forth on this record
3: Well, as I noted before, I mean, I teach at a Pentecostal college. So, I mean, I, I actually know Lee Grady and a number of the folks who wrote the articles about these incidents. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I will say that if you ask them, they will agree that yes, there is a, a particular potential here for this kind of abuse now because they think it's true. They believe it is worth that risk. Mm -hmm. And because they think it is real potential for abuse. They are the most vigilant people I know when it comes to putting in structures and, you know, transparency and things like that to keep these kinds of abuses from happening. So, as you said before, I mean, you know I'm not a charismatic myself, but I do teach at a Pentecostal Holiness College. And I know that, I mean, among the people I know who take you know the potential for religious abuse seriously, these people take it very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as you know, the album itself goes, uh, you know, the orange grove itself seems to be, you know, a, a reference to a charismatic church itself. So, I mm-hmm. mean, it, it's certainly something that is an intramural danger. Uh, you know, when the album is over, Ellis goes back to the orchard. Uh, so, I mean, it's not as if he says, "Okay, you know, just forget this whole fruit picking scene." Uh, there's not a good fruit picker to be had among them. I mean, it, it's a downer, like we said before, but he does go back to it. So there's a sense there that what we've got here with the great prophet with you know, Bob Jones um, is something that is a, a danger inherent in the structure, uh, but it's not necessarily something that is necessary. It's something that is contingent and it's something that can be resisted even though in this case, nobody resisted it enough. Um, now, as far as, you know, what that says about, you know, the, the nature of, of charismatic religion more generally, because of course there are charismatic movements, uh, in Christianity to be sure they're the most prominent right now, but historically there have also been charismatic Jewish movements, charismatic Islamic movements, so on and so forth. Um, Honestly, this puts me in an intellectual bind like very few questions do, (laughs) uh, because even the most ardent traditionalist, you know, the the person who converted to Eastern Orthodoxy six months ago, who tend to be the most convinced people that, you know, tradition is the way to avoid abuse, still draw their origin, if you will, to a charismatic prophet figure named Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, so I mean at a minimum if you're going to be a Christian you're pointing back to a charismatic moment even if it's a charismatic moment 2,000 years ago Mm -hmm. Uh, if you were a Jew you're pointing back to a charismatic moment called Moses Mm -hmm. Uh, if you were a a Muslim you're pointing back to all of the above plus Muhammad Uh, so you know I, I think that you know my own sort of rationalist soul would prefer that we stay as far away from you know the risks that come along with these charismatic moments, as we can, which honestly is is why I think it's good for my soul to teach at a Pentecostal college because I can't get away from it. <laughs> hmm. But I would also say that if I'm honest about it, even two thousand years ain't that big a gap. So I'm I'm rambling on here, David. I mean, what else is there to say about the the charismatic question here?
0: Well, every every tradition in Christianity. Kind of comes down on different sides on the f- of the fence on various issues, mm-hmm. um, you know. If if you can imagine, you know, there is this kind of straight and narrow path in which all of the paradoxes are nicely balanced. No one actually walks that fence, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and with with every with every attempt to to preserve one of the things in tension. Um, with every with every imbalance that is you know native to every tradition, um, though each e- each imbalance comes with a danger. Um, there are imbalances to to being um, in a, in a tradition that uh, is inclined to be sort of knee-jerk skeptical of all possible claims of God's um, miraculous acts in the present. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that there is. You know there is uh th- there there's a danger there too. So uh, so I, I I don't think it's it's necessarily something that's that ought to be um, controversial and negative to say that charisma that the charismatic movement lends itself to particular kinds of imbalances. Every Christian tradition lends itself to particular kinds of imbalances, because every mm. Christian tradition. Um, Comes down off the fence in one or two uh, in one direction or other on various issues, you know. With every imbalance, there's a danger. Um,
1: well, and almost every Christian tradition has, at one point or another, given the wrong sort of person too much power.
0: Yes, and that and that's what I would say next is that you don't have this this religious authority needn't be someone who is speaking. The, you know, a spiritual word from God to us today. In order to misuse that power in this way, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, because because you know, ministers of this stripe or that stripe, of um, uh, religious representatives of this stripe or that stripe have used their power in particular ways, that that necessarily uh, denotes something flawed about their particular tradition, you know. Just because the Mennonites had John Howard Yoder, that doesn't mean, you know, that I'm now immediately going to think, you know, wow, Mennonites, you know, I guess they're particularly liable to this. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he was, you know, he 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 was who he who he was in the in in the life that he had, and it it follows a pattern that you see in lots of different places. I don't see why that's necessarily something that we would have to uh, Anyway, all all that to say this, I think that that maybe our instinct or, or, or maybe some kind of desire that Christians might feel to say that that's a Catholic problem or that's a charismatic problem or that's a fill in the blank problem is a desire to sequester the poison to to wall off that disease and say that's a problem that they have over there because of these other things we dislike and we really, really don't want to see it in our group. But it might be well, there and,
1: too. And, and, well, and even saying <laughs> it's a Christian problem or yeah. it's a religious problem doesn't mm-hmm. work because you get these private schools that yeah. are irreligious mm-hmm. and and teachers are abusing yeah. um, students. So, so it's, it's a human problem. <laughs>
0: yeah i mean anyone who sets themselves up as the you know the 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 font of wisdom whatever that wisdom might happen to be you know Mm. revolutionary types philosophers all different kinds of people we see artists rock rock stars. stars yeah you know it this is a super familiar pattern and just because you're in uh, just because you're you're in a Christian group doesn't mean that that pattern's not going to suddenly manifest with you.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of which, the last year or so, I have felt very much like Ellis. Yeah. Watching devoted evangelicals follow and defend, interpret this person who, despite their claims, doesn't look that much like Christ... David, you and I and Nathan are all never Trumpers. Am I just being hysterical in seeing the Trump era <laughs> prophesied by the great prophet? Ah. Uh. <laughs> is Jerry Falwell an English interpreter of English? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that, that, I mean that that is um, that is something that you see. Uh, that is something that you see happening, and 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 and. I'm just gonna let well first, one. I don't think he prophesized the Trump era. In the Great Prophet, in any kind of specific way, but he might. No, of course in, not. In you know, in the way that John's Apocalypse, you know, kind of sketches out the spiritual roots of of perennial Antichrist. You know, go go see the Mark of the Beast episode. Um, mm. in the sense that the great prophet is laying bare the way that um, that a kind of the way that a kind of power uh, the way that a kind of cult of personality can end up in this uh, desire to always treat the prophet as right, to spin their words to to try to take them in, in you know, in, in this way that preserves that power, that preserves this that mystique. Um, in that case, the great prophet is prophesying about the kind of thing that you're saying, Michael.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Though I don't think it's necessarily because Trump is, ne- is setting himself up as the Delphic Oracle so much as he is someone who just doesn't communicate clearly and and let's be fair uh those who those who don't like him are just as likely to take the worst spin on his words as possible you know there have been occasions in which he said something that was taken to be you know taken in one particular way by those who didn't like him when that wasn't necessarily the way that you had to take it but i mean he's He's like a fortune cookie. He just kind of says stuff, and you're like, what is it? What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he, he his words have an almost kind of Rorschach quality to them.
3: Yeah, they do. But I think that, you know, I mean, one of the strong differences and one that I think would be fruitful to attend to mm-hmm. is that with Trump, uh, you really do have more of a secular strongman figure mm-hmm. who, I mean, those who are the english interpreters of english if you will <laughs> uh you know the most that most of them would say about him is that he is not a very good christian but he's not as bad as hillary clinton mm-hmm. uh now I'll, I'll go ahead and admit that there are you know sort of those borderline cases where you get the you know uh, blues brothers you know Reverend Cleopas James' beam of sunlight coming down on Donald Trump's head. Uh, Those are relatively marginal, though, at least in my circles. Most of the folks I know who are Trump voters, uh, either one, they're sort of, you know, those sort of post-evangelicals that were written about here recently in The Atlantic. You know, the, uh, what was that article called? The Empty Church Syndrome or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Where, you know, I mean, they would identify as evangelical because they're pretty sure they're not Catholic and almost certain they're not Muslim. Uh, But, you know, (laughs) as far as how often they actually step into a church, the answer is not often. Yeah. Uh, And and for those people, you know, there's a sense that, you know, there's this sort of non-coastal American way of life that Washington is constantly putting under threat and donald trump makes the promise to slow that down or even reverse it and that's what they went for right Mm -hmm. the great prophet i mean is is purporting to give secret gnosis about the inner nature of god through his riddles and poems Mm -hmm. that that ain't what donald trump's twitter account is purporting to do (laughs) oh yes it is oh Think, think think about think about his claims of
1: obama wiretapping him this is, this, is, this is secret <laughs> knowledge he has that doesn't need to be defended. And, and, and what is what is this notion what, what does he say I'm looking it up in the, in the Great Prophet speaks. Yeah, we yeah. here in this body will be lifted up and set apart from all other bodies of followers. That's American exceptionalism of, of a sort. I mean obviously <laughs> obviously this, obviously this is not a political album in that sense, but yeah. I can't help but, but read it that way when I listen to it now.
3: Yeah. Yeah, but will be lifted up is not a restoration of what once was. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I I, I would say that there are that there are some meaningful, some meaningful differences, but uh, the, the, apo- the 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 sen- the the apocalyptic sense that for some folks accompanies Trump, I think also was characteristic of of uh. The, the movement that that Mike Knott is critiquing in this um, the sense that these are the folks who are going to bring back f- well and 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 fran- and frankly that's I- that that's 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 kind of uh the vineyard movement is that you know the church strayed the church you know the church is not what it once was and so we need to we need to bring the latter reins we need to. Um, restore the power that has been lost we need to make christianity great again um,
3: i don't know about that I, I, never <laughs> thought I, I, I never thought i would hear myself say this but i would say that that trumpism is probably closer to national socialism than it is to the vineyard church i'm not sure
2: there's,
1: I'm not sure there's that big of a difference between the world not describes in this record and national socialism
3: uh I, I would say there is. I would say there is simply because National Socialism is a genuine national movement. It mobilizes armies. I mean, it's not trying to keep secrets behind closed doors so much as it is trying to expand its power mm-hmm. so that there are no closed doors.
0: Can we can we concede that there will be a, that there could be a way in which those horizons unite within this album, within the idea of the cult of personality, in which the 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 powerful elevated person is going to finally give your life significance through your association with them
1: yeah i i would definitely say i would definitely say that hmm and the the i mean the other record I think about a lot now is that Daniel Amos record Calhoun that we talked about a, a few years ago
0: mm-hmm.
3: yeah which I, that, that, that one I see is a closer parallel
0: yeah oh yeah it's much but that more one opens political. with that song.
1: It opens that song, Big, Warm, Sweet, Interior Glowing, which is all about a, you know, a political leader. And I think at the time we also pointed out that he could be a religious leader. Mm-hmm. Who, oh, yeah, yeah. Who who believes he's always right, who has this, you know, direct
3: line to God. Right, mm-hmm. God told me to invade Iraq. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, I do think we need to be constrained by the particular moment that this album came out of. Like Like, mm-hmm. Nathan keeps kind of pulling us back into that. Um, hey,
1: now I mean to use Ed Hirsch here. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about interpretation. I'm talking about application. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying that this this album is in any sense about Trump. I'm saying yeah. it says certain things about about conservative conservative Christian attraction to strong men that mm-hmm. that is are, are relevant to our own era.
0: How about I can hu- see that I can see yeah. that. Um, How about human attraction to strong men?
1: yeah sure but but you know in, in terms of what we're talking about it's evangelical or conservative christianity
2: mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah I, I can certainly grant that you know like i said i mean i i just i think there's enough going on in the particularities of the sort of religious cult of personality here that we miss something if we jump too readily over to the national electoral cult of personality
1: well, I did wait 50 minutes to ask that question.
3: I, I mean, <laughs> we talked about it for a good long
1: time. Fair enough. Fair enough. It, just 80 percent, 80 percent of evangelicals voted for him. I, I, I think at that point, you've got a religious phenomenon as well as a political one.
3: Well, and 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 to that statistic, I always say, well, what did you expect that they were going to vote for Clinton?
1: Right. Or they could do what I did and vote for neither one of them. I mean, what you did.
3: Oh, yeah. But you well, and I are weird,
0: Michael. I did. <laughs> um, What's that? What's that, David? What all of us did.
1: I didn't know that you vo I didn't know if you voted third party or didn't vote. Yeah. I didn't want to speak. I didn't want to speak for you, David. Yeah.
0: No. No. I. No. I.
1: American Communist Party. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely.
0: No. No. I didn't. Um. I, yeah. I. I. Yeah. I. Th- I think we've. I think we've. I think we've said. I think we've said all that. All that. W- all that we can on this. I mean. I. I I'm. I I hesitate to make Trump too much of a religious too much of a religious phenomena because I think he's so so cynical in the way that he just kind of obviously uses it I really don't think he believes anything whereas the Kansas City Prophets I 100% agree with
3: that yeah Yeah. most actual church going evangelicals I know at most will say something like what Eisenhower said about whatever right wing dictator he was talking about Mm -hmm. he's an SOB but he's our SOB
0: (laughs) Fair enough.
1: I I I, I, just, I don't see how he's R S O B in any sense other than, other than he is the president. In which case he is R S O B. But right. like, I don't think he has anything in common with even conservative Christianity
3: at, at the core. Hmm. Oh, I agree, and I mean that's why I think that the great prophet isn't exactly what we're seeing with this phenomenon.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I maybe maybe I'm just more. More uh, given to to think that the great prophet is also cynical, that he's also using this language in order to empower,
3: mm. right? But I guess mm. can you can you imagine this character that you know not is creating here? Let's let's step away from the historical Bob Jones. Can you imagine this character saying, "I could shoot someone on Fifth Street, and you people would still love me"? I'm not saying it, I can imagine him thinking
1: it. it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one thing,
0: but
3: I mean, Donald Trump said it. Yeah, it's true, and he's right
1: yeah, uh, yeah no, 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 I ain't saying he's wrong, but Nathan, we're not electing a pastor.
3: <laughs>
1: David, blah 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 blah. yeah well <laughs> those, all those people who want to point to David's adultery would do very well to read the the chapters that follow David's adultery mm-hmm. and look what happens to David's country. yeah I would, right, I would right. encourage anybody who's ever made that stupid apology for Trump to go ahead and read those and ask yourself if you want that kind of civil war.
3: Mm-hmm. Right, right.
1: I'm sorry. I'm. Uh, I'm <laughs> we never talk politics on this show anymore, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm out of control.
0: <laughs> Raving.
1: Rescue me from myself. What have I left out of the question set? What else does the great prophet have to tell us 25 years after it came out?
3: One thing that I think is genuinely apocalyptic about this in the sense of, of pulling back a veil uh, is that when I think of the sort of you know I'm going to call them marginal televangelist figures the one who say God wants you to send me money the ones who say if you send me money God will bless you the ones who really sort of do the genuinely and blatantly manipulative things and when you shade from those people even over into the Bob Joneses of the world and the Jim Joneses of the world and these sort of you know the folks who get, you know, tagged with the cult leader title i think that it's very telling musically that, you know, this album is sort of a, you know, scream the vocals distorted guitar hard rock album. Uh, you know, that world tends to frame itself in terms of upbeat music and neatly pressed suits and the sorts of things that you would put a mile away uh, from anything like a hard rock club. And yet, that's what you get, I mean, on this album, is, you know, like I said, the, uh, the vocals that David thinks sound like Rob Zombie, I think sound like Alice Cooper, <laughs> you know, the narratives that, that sound like Jane's Addiction, which I intended to say, but Michael picked up the slack for me. This is a musical world that, especially 25 years ago, is miles away from anything you'd see on a televangelist broadcast. And yet, they are brought together here and you start to see that like the grand golden eagle of Roman justice when the veil is pulled away becomes the dragon that devours hmm. and the seven-headed beast that crushes and the false po- prophet that looks like a lamb but speaks like a dragon likewise these figures are the screaming villains of an Alice Cooper song they are the drug-induced I don't even know what to call them, fantasies of, you know, a sort of late eighties new wave song. Uh, There is something genuinely revelatory about that artistically uh, that again, you know, if you just kind of listen to it and you say, you know, distorted guitars, vocals that sound like mumbles, you don't necessarily grab onto. So I'll I'll recommend that, you know, uh, you know, when Michael puts together the show notes for this, that listeners, you take a look at the lyrics as you listen to it, because there's really something going on here in the fusion between the style of what's going on here and the content of what's going on here. David, what do you got?
0: I was going to say something kind of like some of the things that you said, but but worse and less articulately. (laughs) I doubt that. (laughs) But what I'd like to see... What I love in this album and what I wish we could see more of and and I think actually uh, may, may, maybe maybe we will in coming days is for Christian uh, Christian recording artists to actually embrace this kind of not prophetic in the sense of of giving visions from God but prophetic in the sense of being the vo- the Christian voice at the margin um, speaking speaking to those who, who haven't abused their power, um, especially within the church, that that the power of the artist might be turned more more to those sorts of things. I I I, f- I feel like this, like every generation needs to have like several of these albums, um, come out so that w- we could sing sing this kind of thing back to ourselves instead of just I don't know the the, the, the uh, I, I think of the the Christian radio station um, that was uh, back in my Kansas town and it was it always described itself as positive and encouraging
1: music for the whole family oh, safe, music safe safe for the for whole, the whole family. family let's get right. the safe
3: word yeah. in there and
0: there's nothing
1: safe about this record
3: so although now that I've seen this album cover I'm I'm a little bit queasy saying safe word yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, so uh, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes sometimes we need we need the you know C.S. Lewis. He's not a ti- He's not a tame lion. Um, uh, the gospel is also a sword, uh, as, as as Christ says. Um, we need we need some of that in our in our music too.
1: The album is dark and disturbing and angry because it needs to be the subject matter demands it Mm -hmm. and to to complain about it for that reason and i don't know if anybody still does but i'm sure people did when it came out is to is to misunderstand not just the album but the world that the album describes
2: Mm
1: -hmm. but i mean we've talked about this every time we've done one of these episodes and this is our fourth right Mm -hmm. um there's there's this there's this perception that that Christian rock is this, you know, just lame, uh, pleasant, toothless ripoff. And and one of my goals for continuing to talk about these albums is to demonstrate that that's not necessarily so. That mm-hmm. that this is an album that could only have been made by a Christian. It's it's an internal critique of Christianity that would feel very different if it was coming from uh, Rob Zombie, <laughs> or whoever, somebody mm-hmm. from outside. It, it's a it's a lover's complaint in a way. That that last track, back to the orchard, which is just an instrumental, is somehow very important. It's important to know that that Ellis goes back to work, that that he does not abandon his calling, mm-hmm. even though he he feels that the other orange pickers have done just that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. Listen to the album. I like not solo stuff better for the most part, but uh, this is a this is a, a a really great early '90s alternative rock album if you're into that sound. Mm-hmm. David, what are we doing next week?
0: I'm shocked and appalled that we've never done this before. But as I did a word search on our RSS feed, we've never talked about John Donne's Holy Sonnets.
1: Uh, no, we have not.
0: Well, we will next time.
1: Sounds good. Until then, I'm sure we've made people angry. Let, let me go off the list of people we might might have insulted on this record. <laughs> people from the Vineyard, people from IHOP, uh, the International House of Prayer, and perhaps the House of Pancakes as well, uh, Jesus <laughs> Culture, uh, Charismatics in general, Trump supporters, King David, eh. <laughs> I like to think we're defending King David. Uh, if, if you would like to yell at us, send, a, send us an email at Christian Humanist, uh, thechristianhumanist at gmail.com or christianhumanist.org is our website. I don't know why we screwed that up so terribly. Wouldn't it have been nice if they'd been the same? Anyway, you can send us an email or comment on the show notes or come after us on Facebook or whatever uh, uh the, the christian humanist podcast is a production of the christian humanist radio network our press liaison is Kristen philippic our intern is Amberly copeland until next time uh this is michael farmer for nathan gilmore and david grubbs saying let your sins be strong and let your faith be stronger